0: Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello everybody, welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host DC, and of course I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's going on everyone? So, today we are doing an episode from our Fallen Goat series. And um, I would say of all the fallen Goats, and some that we have not done yet, this is probably the person that would be in either the number one to or maybe three spot all time where they're still in conversations about, you know, their era and them being a goat. Um, and part of the fall from grace, I think, you know, you get a few losses, but then also it's just a new crop of people that come along, you know, it's like the, the Michael Jordan and LeBron James arguments, you know, when a new crop of people come along, they're going to be like LeBron who, right? <laughs> so, um, um, this one is one that uh, I'm pretty excited about just because of just, you know, so many of the other heavyweights that he fought during, during his uh, his reign and his era and even after. And uh, I'm going to, of course, run down some, some of his accolades, awards, things of that sort in there. We're just going to talk about, you know, some of his fights, all the things that we normally do. So... For this episode of Fallen Goats, we have none other than Fedor, the last Emperor, Emelian So, before I dive into any of the accolades or anything like that, did you have anything that you wanted to throw in uh, up front about him? I know uh, you were a bit of a fan back in the day.
1: Yeah, well, I'm always a fan of greatness. Um, and what many new fans may not realize nowadays is Fedor in his heyday was a legit great. And I think when we look at the fallen goat series, I know I said this about BJ Penn also, which I still mean, but Fedor is one of these guys that really represents the title fallen goat. Um, People in his time legitimately thought he was the best in the world. And, this was one that was a little bit more controversial. This used to be legit bar conversation over, you know, different promotions versus each other and the kind of caliber of fighting. But Fedor as the greatest fighter of all time, as the best, baddest man on the planet, was a legit conversation for a significant amount of time.
0: I totally agree. And one of the things that I think made it so legit, and it's still this way to this day, usually... If you have a heavyweight champion and they're really, really good and really, really dominant, they automatically go to the top of the list, kind of in that goat status, whether it's all time, their era, whatever else. And and mainly it's because they don't necessarily even have to be on a pound for pound list; they are the pound for pound. They're the they're the big you know they're the big dog in the yard, so to speak. So, I think that always gives it weight. And then, of course, especially in... The pound-for-pound list is made to adjust to them, not
1: vice versa.
0: Correct. And then I think another thing is we always know whenever you're in that heavyweight category, whether it's boxing, MMA, or whatever else, you know, everybody pretty much has knockout power, so anybody can go lights out at any point in time, which makes that weight class just so much more dangerous. So, um... Before I go ahead and dive into the accolades, I just want to point out, and this this even goes into your point, still to this day, if you look at his record, he didn't fall the way some of the other people that we talk about, you know, fail. He, he didn't do BJ. He didn't do uh, Anderson Silva. He didn't do, you know, so many of these other guys. His record is 40 and six, and he actually just had a fight. We talked about him on our, um, I forget the name of the episode. It was where we were talking about all the people that came back for 2021. Uh, Misha Tate. Yeah. And we talked about him on that episode and he fought Timothy Johnson and got a first round uh, KO and Timothy Johnson wasn't a slouch. He was coming off of a loss, but before that he had won three in a row in Bellator. So he was no slouch. Um, but, and before that, before his semi-retirement, he KO a very round rampage, (laughs) right? But, um, so that's just to talk about, you know, even though we're talking about him as a fallen goat, he didn't fall from grace the way that some of the other fighters on this list may have, but we'll get into some of the reasons why he's considered a fallen goat. Um, Before
1: we get uh, mm -hmm, too far, into, I know we'll hit a little bit more later, because honestly, like you said, he hasn't had to fall from grace that a lot of them do. And he is a guy that's still in the conversation, I think, for greatest heavyweight of all time. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying he, he, he can legitimately be in that conversation. And I think when you look at the all time great heavyweights. What, it is, what is it with these 230-pound motherfuckers like Fedor, Stipe. Yeah. uh I mean, I know uh, Cormier is a little bit bigger than that, but heavyweight division, it's never the monsters you think. Randy Couture, I know he's yeah. not an all-time great heavyweight, but he was a champ. Like,
0: yeah.
1: There's something to that fucking 230-pound number, man.
0: I agree. And w- with Cormier, he really shouldn't have been heavier than that. He just can't push himself from the table. <laughs> right. It, and it's so funny because of his stature, of course, when he first came out and he started, you know, like making waves, you know, people were calling him Black Fedor because he he looked his stature was so much like Fedors. You know, they're both a little pudgy. They didn't look ripped or anything like that. These little, you know, 5'11 ball dudes that just, you know, can knock people out with one punch and that would toss people around the ring. That freakish,
1: uh, freakish grappling strength, man.
0: Yep, absolutely. So to get into some of the accolades and things of that sort, for one, he's had one of the longest streaks in, uh, MMA in particular. When you're talking about fighting in in big promotions, as far as win streaks, at one point in time he had a seven, a twenty-seven fight win streak. Now, in between that, he actually had twenty-eight fights, but one of the fights he fought, um. Uh, big Nog, Antonio Noguera, he fought him three times. Two of them were, was a win, and one was a no contest because of a clash of heads. So that was in that streak, but also in that streak. And some of these names, some of the newer people may not know, but these are all, you know, big names in MMA. During that win streak, he fought uh, Babalu uh, Sabro. He fought Sammy Schilt, Heath Herring. As I said, Big Nog, he fought him three times, uh Fajita, Gary Goodrich Goodrich, Mark Coleman, Randall, uh, Kevin Randleman, he fought um Crow Cup, Mark Coleman twice, Mark Hunt, Matt Litlin, Tim Sylvia, Andre Olawski, and Brett Rogers. And for some people that don't know, even for some of the guys that may not have ended up having really, really big careers, like Brett Rogers, when Fedor fought him, he was undefeated and a scary guy. Or actually, he may have had one loss. I forget whether he lost to Fedor first or whether he lost to, um, uh, 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 you know, the 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 poster guy for uh, steroids, horse meat.
1: O- Overeem. Overeem, uh, yeah, he- no. Fedor was his first loss and I was a big Brett Rogers fan and yeah, he's not a big name now, but at the time of that fight, he was one of the top up and coming heavyweight prospects in the game.
0: Big scary dude. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he was one of those people had he had the route right team, even with those few losses, I think he could have bounced back, but you know, it's hard, especially if you don't have the right team around you, but, um, to go into some of, some of those other accolades, um, over in ring before he came over to pride, he was the ring open weight champion, uh, in pride. He won the heavyweight title beat uh big nog for that title and defended it multiple times. Um, he's credited with, uh, eight title defenses, uh, but you know, that's what he's credited with. <laughs> uh, Sports Illustrated actually had him as the fighter of the decade in the 2000s. Um, he's won a few Fight of the Night awards. Uh, he also won Knockout of the Year uh, when he knocked out Andre Orlowski in a fight that went like a lot of his fights where he don't look like a world beater. And he may look like he may even lose that fight. And then he lands one punch and the other guy's lights go completely out. And that's um, so
1: bizarre to say in a fight where if you didn't see the fight and you look at it, you're like, yeah, he knocked him out three minutes into the first round. Like, yeah, it's a domination, right? No, he was getting his ass beat. <laughs> yeah. And it
0: landed was. a punch. Yep. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, that was the fight where Arlowski had him like backed up into the rope or the corner or something. And he comes in after he had him hurt. And I don't remember if he was coming in with a knee or something, and then Fredor just landed on him. And you know that's pretty much all it takes. <laughs> it was the the cornered animal. He because he yep. did he had him backed into a corner, I believe. Yep. Uh, he also won um, 2005. He won fight of the year versus Crow Cup. He also won heavyweight of the year in 2005, 2004 and 2003 those were under mmafighting.com um he also has multiple sambo uh champions under his belt and for people that don't know what that is it's kind of a i would call it like a mix between greco-roman wrestling and judo well how would you describe sambo
1: yeah it's uh kind of like a catch wrestling mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's kind yeah, of... But
0: what's weird is they, they wear like the gi top, mm-hmm. but like, n- like shorts. Well,
1: because <laughs> right? they're Russian, you know, fabric is at a premium there.
0: <laughs> other notable fights that he had, not necessarily in that streak, but just in general, other people that he fought that are big names, Fabricio Verdum, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Dan Henderson, Pedro Izzo, Matt Mitrione, Frank Mir, Chael Sonnen, Ryan Beta, and of course, uh, Rampage, who I mentioned earlier. So that runs down kind of some of his fights. If you notice, he fought some big names at heavyweight. And also talking about some of his wars, and there's more wars that I didn't even touch on, but he's a very decorated champion in both MMA and in the world of Russian Sambo. Um, So now after running those down, I want to pass it back over to you, Locke, if there's anything from that that stood out to you or anything else you wanted to say before I get into, you know, asking a couple questions. Well, the one thing I definitely want to uh, point out is
1: I think it's ironic that when you run through the list of acc- accolades and you run through the list of fighters he's fought and the, the guys that he's won, mm-hmm. it's really bizarre to remember that at one point when we were having the GOAT discussion with him on Is He the Greatest, the big knock on him was always level of competition because he never came to the UFC. Yes. And and people still say that sometimes. Like, well, he was never in the UFC, so we don't know. But you run down that list, and, and I know some of these guys, Frank Mir, uh, whatever, weren't in their prime, but, I mean, he's beat a lot of the guys that were top guys of his era. So... That just really stands out that the big knock against him was always strength of competition. Seems I mean, I know he'd like to do the the freak show fights, but that was more of a pride thing, a Japan thing than it was a Fedor thing. I mean he's just taking yeah. that uh you know, as Floyd would say, the easy work. But uh yeah. That's quite a murderer's row of competition to still be at forty and six.
0: No, I would agree and not to mention even during his reign, you know, when he was in Pride and everybody was, you know, talking about him being the greatest. I mean, he fought some great guys during that time. All that initial group of guys that I mentioned when he was on that 27 fight win streak, all of that was over in Pride, right? And there were some big names on that list. The problem is it's the same issue that We, you know, we recently talked about DJ and in his win over in one, and it's something that doesn't get any attention. When we did our, you know, pound for pound list, DJ isn't on the list anywhere, even though to this day, he's one of the greatest pound for pound. He shows it over and over again. Why? Because he's over in Asia and here in America. (laughs) We just don't re We don't respect it. If you're not doing it on our turf. There's not a lot of respect for it. And so even though in pride, you had a lot of Americans over there, you had a lot. I mean, you you had everybody, right? But it still just wasn't looked at by a lot of people at the, in the same regard as the UFC, even though I think people that really watch the sport would argue that at that time, pride may have actually had the better heavyweights the more rounded heavyweights. Now I'm not saying whether they did or not. It's one of those things that's very arguable when you look at it. Right. And even looking at the success, when you look at some of the other promotions that came over to the UFC, um, or they got bought out or whatever, some of the most success that was had was pride guys coming over to the UFC that made an impact right away. Even if they didn't win the title, And then you had some guys that pretty much came over and won the title right away. Right. So um, I think pride was a a very good promotion. And, you know, as you mentioned, the freak show, it's just a part of what they do. (laughs) Right. So let me get into the first question and you, you actually kind of threw this one in there at the beginning. And that was, Actually, you know what? I won't make that the first question. We'll push it down the road a little bit because you did throw it in there. So this would be my question. What do you think is the big thing that created or caused him to fall from that conversation of being the GOAT? What do you think was the, the catalyst or the turning point for him that just kind of took him out of that conversation? Um, you know
1: it's tough because when I do research getting ready for this podcast, I look at his record and his career and I don't even know that we necessarily should, (laughs) you know, I mean, there is the streak in the middle, the where, you know, submitted by Verdum, uh, TKO by Antonio Silva, which by the way, I drove all the way to New York to watch Fedor fight. It was like a bucket list thing (laughs) to go watch him fight. And he gets the piss beat out of him by Antonio Silva. What I did get to see though, that was kind of worth the the trip was Fedor got murked, right? And his one eye was swelling shut. And when the fight was over, he just got up and stood back in his corner, like eyes shut and beat the shit and just stood there calm as if same way no he looked emotion. when he walked out. Like <laughs> we always focus on the no emotion of Fedor, but I got that full, I didn't get the big Fedor win that I wanted, but I got full Fedor, calm attitude when he was just sitting there lumped up with his eyes closed just like well what are you going to do Yeah,
0: I think think that's one of the things uh, you know and I think he was the epitome of that I think some of the Russian fighters now have went away from that not necessarily some of it not necessarily because of them wanting to I think it's because as we've talked about in other promotions you kind of have to be the person to talk shit and have a larger than, you know, over-the-top personality just to make money nowadays, it seems like, or to get the good fights. But um, I think that was the best part of Fedor, you know. Uh, we we mentioned on one of the podcasts where we were talking about, like, stare-downs and things that, you know, just isn't a thing anymore, but it was so great back in the day. And my two favorite stare people that, like, stared you down was Fedor and Vanderlei Silva, the Axe Murder, and they were completely different. I was going to say, Leigh you couldn't Silva. get more
1: opposite ends of the exactly.
0: spectrum. Exactly. Vanderlei Silva looked like, like he looked like his name, the Axe Murderer. And he's looking through you when he's staring you down. And Fedor is just standing there, and his face is so blank, you can't tell whether he's scared of you or whether he's secretly an Axe Murderer and he's going to kill you. And, you know, he's just a sociopath, right? But those were two of my favorite... People and Pride, I think, had the best stare downs. But those were two of my favorite people in the stare down category.
1: Yeah, he definitely brought that to the table. There was a lot of the comparisons, like he was like a robot, like to the Terminator kind of thing, the emotionless. And what's weird is he didn't change just what we wanted from fighters changed because that was one of the things that brought people brought attention to him early on in his career that people loved about him was that stoic it was sellable it was a lot like uh ivan drago you know that's how we like our right. russians scary and silent and cold mm-hmm. and he never varied from that he was just consistently him but what changed is what we expected out of fighters and at some point in mid-career we decided hey fedor can you act like connor and
0: he, <laughs> and he stood no. there and stared, <laughs> just like he does every other time. Like, oh, okay, I guess maybe not then. Yeah, and to piggyback on the question, so I think his fall from grace was exactly what you mentioned. This is the issue whenever you're too good at something or untouchable. When you look flawless to a point, or your record is flawless, and this is in anything. As soon as you have a mistake, you fall so much further down because whatever people saw, that magic, that pixie dust that was over you, it evaporates. And now people go the opposite way and judge you more harshly, right? So it's the same reason why if you lose a few fights in the beginning of your career and then you're going to tear, it's not really you held against you. It's like, yeah, but that was so That was in the beginning of his career. But if you take that same number of fights and you win a bunch and then let's say your last four fights, you go, you know, three and one, I mean, one and three, it looks really bad and it's like, oh, this person has completely fell off. So I think when you go on that long of a winning streak, 27 fights, and then you lose three in a row. In everybody's mind, you're completely done. And then you factor in all three were stoppages, right? In in people's mind, it's over with. You're you're completely done there. And I think at that point in time, people don't just look at, okay, this may be the end of your reign. It becomes you were never anything. We told everybody, and you should be out of the GOAT conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think there's a couple things on there that I want to piggyback on is – for one, that 3-fight streak, that's 2010. You know, that's 12 years ago at this point. Um in MMA years, that's like a million years. We have a much better understanding of MMA of MMA careers now. Um so we understand that losses are part of the territory. Right. Um I think it was a bigger deal then to have a loss. Like, now we just get it. And that's why I said, looking back at the record from hindsight, I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, maybe he still is kind of towards that, that top because he never had that big fall off. But I think another thing in addition to that, the fact that back then we just thought a loss was the biggest deal, and now it's not. Um, I think in addition to that, when you always had the knock that he didn't fight in the UFC and he didn't fight the best, we could... It was like, look, you can fight in the UFC or you can be undefeated. But the second you lose fights, not in the UFC, you're fucking done. You're out of the conversation, you know? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. if he's in the UFC and he takes those same couple losses, it, people hold it against him a lot less.
0: Yeah. I mean, Randy Randy was in that conversation Big time, especially for greatest heavyweight, right? And Randy always had losses. Matter of fact, Randy, the reason why he jumped so many times in between heavyweight and light heavyweight, it was usually because he lost. It's like, oh, I lost that light heavy, I'll go to heavyweight. I think I could beat this guy. Oh, he'll win the title, then he'll lose it. Oh, I lost. I'm gonna go down to, to light heavyweight. I think I could beat this guy, right? But we we don't hold that against Randy Couture. And, you know, I don't have it pulled up, but if you look at Randy's Couture's record, it's nowhere near the record of this. It's nowhere near the caliber of names, the win streaks or anything like that. But I think with certain fighters, especially if you're fighting in in, in a promotion that we see as the best promotion, it's easier to forgive some of those losses, right? Um, but also to your point, not only was that a long time ago, after that, he went nine and two. Right. So after that three loss streak, he's nine and two. That's one of the best bounce backs I've seen from a quote unquote fallen goat. Usually if you go on a three fight lose streak, it's either more losses or it's like a win, loss, win, loss, 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 win, you know, type of deal. It's not a nine and two, you know, type of thing after that.
1: For sure. That's that's the beginning of the end. That's where it starts to fall apart. Yeah. Randy Couture has got 11 losses. Like he's almost got a 500 record. He's 19 and 11. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's my point. I didn't have it pulled up. I just always remembered because I remember him bouncing around and winning those titles, but the conversation was never why he's bouncing around and winning those titles. Right. And it's because, Hey, if I lose over here, I'm really at a size where I can fight at both weight classes. I'll just move to the other one depending on who the champion is and go win a title. So um, Randy
1: Couture, he's never won more than four fights in a row. Like he's usually yeah. win two, <laughs> lose one, win three, lose one, win one, lose one.
0: Yeah. And that actually brings me to my next question, which is um with Fedor being – the size of some of these other guys that we talked about, that's not your big guys, right? Your Randy Coutures, you're Daniel Cormier's, some of these guys. But most of those guys fought at both heavyweight and light heavyweight. Do you think at some point, Randy, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was about to say Randy Couture. Do you think at some point Fedor should have dropped down to 205, um, you know, I definitely think in the promotions that he he was in, he could have won a title in both weight classes, or do you think he was in the right thing and he should have just stayed where he was at at heavyweight?
1: So I think he could have, and I think he could have won a championship at 205. But the reason I don't think that that's something that he had to do, I think he still would have had the power and he would have been you know strong there. But if you look at, Daniel Cormier for example since we've already made that comparison today Daniel Cormier is considerably better I feel a lot of people would argue at heavyweight than he is at light heavyweight and maybe he didn't cut the weight right but I think a lot of times we're we're tough on these guys because of body type because we look at them and say they're chubby and we decide well they should be cutting down you know and maybe with some Mike Dolce shit, like, we haven't never seen, like, a lean-ripped Fedor. That might be a little bit scary, you know? Um But if you already put up that kind of resume at heavyweight, why? You know what I mean? Heavyweight, we established earlier, heavyweight is the, the king of the mountain. It's the top. So I see why, if you're at light heavyweight, you might want to move up to prove you're a badass. But if you're already at the top of the mountain, why go down? Like he was already winning those fights there and my thing would be is fedor as explosive at light heavyweight as he is at heavyweight is he as fast you know is he as good in scrambles he might just be another dude there because mm-hmm. some of these guys are a little faster and more athletic so i think he could have did it i think he could have been successful I think if his career had started later, nowadays he might have done it just because the champ champ thing is so big, but that didn't matter kind of in his era. So that wasn't something he concerned himself with, but I think career wise, if he was just now starting, that would have probably been the move he make.
0: So the only thing that I heard you say was you would like to deprive me of the chance of, having had a Vanderlei Silva versus Fedor Emilianenko fight at 205 pounds. That was what I heard you say. Right. But you made a good point. You know, you made a good point. Now, I, I, think I would say went...
1: just, just do it into Japan. Why does it matter?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we could do that in pride. Who cares what
1: weight it's at or what's going on?
0: Yeah. Listen, big nog for a, 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 500-pound ripped uh, Bob Sapp. So, listen, that fight took years off of Big Nog's uh, career. Oh, yeah, uh, no, Bob
1: Sapp, he was a natty, too, I heard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) But um, uh, I tell you what, you did make a good point, though, because when we look at a lot of the guys that did make that move, it was for a reason. So, as I mentioned with Randy, he had lost the belt, and I forget when he first dropped down who he had lost to that belt to. I think it was, um, was it um, Was it Pedro? I don't remember who he lost the belt to, but he lost the belt to somebody, and that's when he dropped down to 205. And then um, DC, of course, as we know, the only reason why he dropped down was because he didn't want to fight his, his teammate Kane who was the big dog at heavyweight in the UFC because he was fighting at heavyweight over at Strike Force. And I will say this though, um Strike Force heavyweight um DC was a different animal in my opinion than and his body looked different. He still wasn't cut, but I don't think that you need to be cut. But, you know, heavyweight DC in in the UFC definitely had a problem pushing away from the table right well, he
1: was rich then too
0: yes yes he had made a nice amount of money <laughs> yes so I think that makes those a, um, those chicken commercials have paid off very <laughs> very well yeah I think those um I think that definitely uh makes a difference if you're kind of the king at heavyweight versus somebody else that has a reason to move around, you know, to your point, but maybe, you know, it was the right time after he lost that three in a row to just, you know, quickly revitalize himself. But even if I look at that, after he lost three in a row, he went on a five fight win streak. So, you know, it's hard to even argue with it there. Right. Um, so, you know, but, and one of those guys he
1: lost to was a middleweight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Dan Henderson is uh uh like we probably should have him on the Fallen Goat series. Dan Henderson, I don't think, gets enough respect. He would fight anywhere from like like a hundred and eighty-five pounds to heavyweight. Like, he fought a lot of he was really one of those guys that would fight anywhere, like any weight class. He'd fight you in any town, any country. Um he was, you know, he was a, a different caliber of fighter that because he was never a long-running champion, he did end up beating, um, I think, Vanderlei for his... I forget that, you know, over in Asia, their, their titles are a little bit different, but he ended up unifying and he had the equivalent of their 185 and 205 belts at the same time. And if you remember when he came over to the UFC, that's how he ended up fighting both um, both uh, uh, um,
1: Rampage and then Anderson. And, he and lost Anderson both, Silva. and then
0: we just decided as a
1: fan base, like, ah, fuck him. Yeah, it's
0: it. Yeah, shit. You didn't. You well, didn't. You didn't okay. win the belts.
1: So <laughs> y- you've been a great fighter and you've had this great career, and you lose back to back fights against some of the like all time greats, and we're just done with you.
0: Yeah, and you're not even a champ champ because that don't exist in Asia. It's an American thing. <laughs> even though you're an American, you didn't do it over here, you know? <laughs> so He was like,
1: the, the, like, we pretended like that was like the JV champ champ or
0: something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but let me ask you this, um, and this is the question that I kind of skipped over that I want to go back to because you mentioned it. Where would you put him? Let's not talk about the GOAT list right now. Let's just talk about heavyweights all time. Where do you see him falling on that heavyweight list? And I'm asking this to you, but just know before you answer it, I thought about this, and it's hard for me to place him because of what you mentioned before, only because some of the bigger names that he fought from the UFC and whatnot it was well past their prime, but he was also past his prime. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but where do you think he falls in that, in that heavyweight category all time? So all time, great
1: heavyweights. And I know I'm going to catch shit from this, but for the record, we've established sometimes I will just be saying shit. So whatever, don't hold me too whatever, accountable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like we might have to slot him at number one as the greatest heavyweight of all time. And here's why is because when we look at the other options, we have DC and Stipe, who I think have like beat each other up out of the competition. You know, like I would (laughs) like to say that DC is the greatest heavyweight of all time, except he lost... The first Bay fight, I don't mind. It Shit happens. The second one, I am frustrated with him about. Because he was winning to that yes. fight. He was winning the fight. He made a bad decision. He knows it strategically. And it cost him. And that might have cost him the greatest heavyweight of all time. And honestly, he possibly could have won both of those fights. But then again, Bay so, okay, so then that makes Stipe the greatest, right? Well, except he lost to DC once and then just got, broke off pretty bad to Angano. So, I just think they're in this real division where the rest of the all-time heavyweight goats have done, It's 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 like in politics where one party, they beat each other up and they cannibalize each other and the other guy wins, not because he had the most, but because these guys split the vote, you know? I just feel like... Yeah. D.C. and Stipe and these guys have spent too much time taking from each other's legacy, and then that kind of lets Fedor slide by. I mean, and that's my kind of my logic to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're on the road today, so I'm probably just not going to answer. We'll just do this interview style and let (laughs) you answer all the questions. (laughs) Because, I mean, I can't really argue with that. And as I said, um, I was having a hard time placing him anyway. But, you know, one of the reasons is it's what you mentioned, especially because no other heavyweight in history went on any kind of tear the way that he did. And you could say, okay, well, he was in pride or whatever else, but okay, who else in pride did it? Who else in who else in these other places did it, right? And, you know, to me, that is a factor. When you're in this world of MMA unless you're literally just fighting like regional shows, if you're in any big promotion and you can go on a 20-something fight win streak, you're really fucking good, right? And now we get a chance to see you later against other top-name top, top name heavyweights. I mean, Andre Orlowski is one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. He's been fighting in, you know, every damn decade it seems like, right? And as we talked about, although Arlovski was winning that fight, Federer always finds a way to win it. He puts people lights out. Right? That was not a um in my opinion, that was not a um that was not a washed up Arlovski. It may not have been a prime Arlovski, But it wasn't a washed up Arlovsky. That is a legit win against a top heavyweight, right? And I think he had quite a few of those. And when you combine that with the streak, no other heavyweight in any promotion that was a top promotion comes close to that. Definitely. And Andre Arlovsky, what he's done since then,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. his late career resurgence, adds more credibility to that win. You know, yes. it makes it look a little bit better. And and that streak, it is hard to argue because, and I know you've ran down the fighters, but I want to kind of hit it from a different angle. Absolutely. You look at, he did the David and Goliaths where he, and I know they are freak show fights, but you know, these guys were 400 pounds, 600 pounds, and he mm-hmm. beats their ass. You know, the guys are seven foot two. He beats their ass. Um, He did the David and Goliath where he fought uh Matt Linlin, you know, where he was the bigger, stronger guy. He fights the little guy. Still beats his ass. You know, he fought the, you know, he just did a a little bit of everything in that streak. And outside of John Jones, I mean, and maybe DJ. And honestly, maybe just John Jones. That's a streak that I don't know. You could put up against anybody's,
0: you know, best streak of all time. Not in top promotions. Like you can find guys that had put up really long streaks, but not when you're talking about UFC pride strike force, you know, Bellator, like those type promotions. I'm not talking about Dan Severn
1: smashing through Iowa.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think when you put up that, you know, uh, yeah, you, you, it'll be hard pressed to find anybody with that type of streak. Um, so let's go to the next one. And um, I'm actually going to combine these two because of my answer. <laughs> but um, when did you become a, a fan of Fedor and what is your favorite Fedor fight? Okay. So I
1: became a Fedor fan. It would have been the early 2000s. So I'm a, I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm a wrestling guy. It's in, in case this is your first episode, anybody that's listened to more than one, it's been said. I like, <laughs> I like wrestling, and I always figure out a way to mention bare knuckle boxing. That's right. In, See, in every he, episode, he
0: got his quote in, got his quote <laughs> in. <laughs> that's that's my thing. Send the check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and th- this
1: one was tough. I still, I still got it in there. Um, but around 2004, so when he beat Mark Coleman and Randleman back to back. The first one pisses me off. The second one, you're like, oh, damn, this is a force to be reckoned with, you know. And that was also at a time where I was working in the cable industry and I might have had some access to um a lot of the overseas fights. That's more of yeah. what I could fight, uh, what I could mm-hmm. watch. I wasn't able to get a lot of the UFCs and stuff like that. But we were able to watch like Pride, like Pride Bushido. Like we had that stuff almost on a loop at the house, watching it over and over. And you mm-hmm. can't watch too many Fedor fights in a row and not become a fan, regardless of what you think of him or as he's a goat or whatever. But if you are a fan of MMA and you see a Fedor fight on, you're probably going to tune in because, you know, it's about to be a scrap.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And What was your favorite Fedor fight?
1: So, it's two. So, as an MMA fan, you know, and as an MMA uh, old head or whatever, I want to say the Crow Cop fight. Because it's a great fight. It's two legends, you know. Um, not only was it fight of the year, it was actually awarded fight of the decade for the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great fight. Possibly one of the greatest MMA fights of all time. So, I would like to say that one for my credibility. But unfortunately, I'm going to say that uh, the Hong Man Choi fight. Because. Interesting. I, <laughs> I don't like. I am never a sucker for these freak show fights. I never buy into it. But if you look at the still shot of the arm bar that he beat him with, Hong Man Choi was so fucking big. Yes. Like, that was the craziest arm bar I've ever seen. Like, his arm is as big as Fedor.
0: And, and he tapped yeah. him out like that. He doesn't look like a human. He's so big. Like, yes. he looks like something that was created that's, like, Photoshopped. Like, if if somebody just saw that image today and didn't know, they would say, oh, that's Photoshopped.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's 100% fake. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to say that. And I feel like that's my, like, guilty pleasure of MMA. Because I usually don't fall for that shit. But that's probably my one chink in my armor is... Fedor Armbar and that big motherfucker just because it makes for such a great photo. So you love the free show fight. Got it. You <laughs> so should for me put that, put that uh
0: put that picture on the Instagram
1: for I anybody that uh listen to I'll put to it this. up there.
0: Matter of fact, I'll I'll have to remember to clip this and I'll put that, that part up there. But um for me, um I became a fan right around the Heath Hearing fight, but I really became a fan during the Nogera fight, the Nogera one. And the reason why I say the Heath Hearing fight, I didn't know who he was before the Heath Hearing fight. And I saw that fight and I was like, wow, who's this little round dude? You know, he just destroyed Heath Hearing. And then when he fought Big Nog, who was the champion, and, you know, Big Nog, I want to say was only maybe a fight or two away from uh, you know, Submitting Bob Sapp, and for people don't know, this is before Bob Sapp was a meme, right? (laughs) Or what what today would be considered a meme, right? This is before he would walk into fights and you thump him, and then he falls down and take a purse, right? He was actually trying to win fights back then, and he was like, I know I made the joke earlier about five hundred pounds, but he was like a legit three hundred and sixty solid muscle, right? And crazily built like like yes. a comic book drawing yes and this was another one of those freak show fight type of deals and big nog um i know big isn't his name but he's not a big guy at all he's, he wasn't a big heavyweight uh, i think he's about six two six three and he was his one name's of those Big Nog too-
1: because he's the older of the brothers,
0: yes. Of the twin, he has a twin brother, and he's I'm get you know, he's probably older by an hour, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, but um, he was another one of those guys that he, you know, especially back then, he was probably only maybe 225, 230, he wasn't a you know, really big guy, and um, I just saw him, you know, submit Bob Sapp, who was a monster. And nobody wanted to play in his guard because he had submitted so many people. And up until this point, I think he only had one fight that went to a decision in his, you know, title reign of, I want to say he had won about six or seven fights in Pride. And not only was that a good fight, but Fedor stayed in his guard almost the whole fight and was just bouncing his head off of the canvas. And Fedor didn't seem worried about the jujitsu, And, I mean, especially at this time, I don't think anybody at high-level fighting had the BJJ skills that Big Nog had where he was really, it was a really, really offensive style. He's going for submissions and everything. You can't let, you know, anything rest or anything like that, or he's going to submit you. And Fedor really went in there, took the fight to him, and stayed in the guard almost the whole fight, just raining down punches and different things like that. And uh, the fight, you know, ended up going a distance. But I was like, oh, this is like, this guy's bringing something new to the game. Yeah. Well,
1: and exactly what it was is something new. We hadn't seen people play so comfortably in Noguera's guard. We knew that's where you didn't want to be. And everybody, you know, was wondering, like, why would he be so reckless? Well, we didn't know what Sambo was. And uh, it turns out Sambo right. put you in a position where you're not as scared as that. Like, we've seen that with wrestlers, right? Jiu-Jitsu came in and dominated. And as soon as every wrestler watching TV seen mm-hmm. that, every wrestler watching usc 1 looked at Hoist Gracie and said, he ain't going to take me down with that bullshit
0: shot. Right, right. (laughs) and then they were tapping (laughs) so let me ask you this and this is going to go back to the argument of Fedor versus Randy and for people that don't know the reason why we're going to this argument back in Fedor's reign Randy was the name for the UFC heavyweight that was the name he wasn't the only champion, but at that point in time, he was the name that everybody thought of when they thought about heavyweight UFC champion. And everybody wanted to see those two clash. And I think one of the things that made it great, going back to that size, they were very similar of size. I think Randy's about six foot six one, and Fedor is right around that six foot five eleven. You know now Randy's has always been a little bit more built, uh, but similar size. They were not these, you know, six four giants or whatever. And everybody wanted to see that fight, and it almost happened. Dana said he was really close to putting a deal together back in two thousand and six, but it didn't happen. Had that happened at that point in time, two thousand six Randy, two thousand six Fedor who wins in the UFC was important in a cage for the people that were not watching back then. The reason why that is important pride was fought in a ring and um, the UFC was fought in a cage still is fought in the cage. Of course the octagon eight sides, but pride was fought in the ring and initially some of the guys that came over from pride did have a little bit of adjusting to do, Going from a ring to a cage because it really changes the dynamic of certain things. But now that said, it would have been in a cage. 2006. Who wins?
1: Okay. Well, you took some of the steam out of what I was going to say because part of what I was going to say is I give it to uh I give Fedor the advantage if it's in a ring. You know what I mean? So we're going to play home court advantage. I can't you, let you stole that from the thunder me. Today. That's bullshit, man. <laughs> so. DC the fucking Thunder Thief. uh, So, I am still going to take... I think I'm going to take Fedor, even if it's in a cage. Because the thing with the cage is Randy was good as at that dirty boxing, the Greco-Roman wrestling. So, we like to think he could push him up against a cage. And at the, that time that would have been his first fight in the cage. So that might have happened if he could have taken advantage of that. But the reason I'm going to take Fedor is if you look around that time, uh, 2006, he gets knocked out by Chuck Liddell. 2005, he got knocked out by Chuck Liddell. Um, he got knocked out by Machito later on in his career with the kick. So he was a guy that was susceptible to getting knocked out you know and i think yeah he could have leaned him up against the cage and and he probably would have split him open because fedor he's like a diaz brother he does split open and uh but similar to the alavsky fight coming out of the corner similar to what we've seen fedor a million times i think it would be a signature fedor fight randy would come out look pretty good push him up against the cage you know hit him with elbows dirty box him up And then at some point, he'd get just enough distance where Fedor could fire off one of those big shots. Fedor will break his hand when he lands it. It's the way he punches. It's a Sambo thing. And uh, that's how the fight goes.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, One, I think that that Greco-Roman style would work better against somebody that doesn't have the Sambo background. And the reason why I say that is because Part of that Sambo background, they do a lot of clinch work. And they have some pretty good um, throws off of that, you know. And some of their throws are a little bit more judo-esque, but they got some good trips and everything like that. And I would say that it takes away some of the effectiveness of the Greco-Roman wrestling into dirty boxing. Because as soon as you... Try and land that elbow or something else for that dirty boxing. That leaves a little bit of off balance where now a Fedor can trip you, flip you, attack or something like that. And as you mentioned, that's when he lands. He's really good at landing in scrambles or when you're coming forward or things of that sort. And what was really weird about him and his punching style and power. He's one of the few guys that don't have to put his body into his punches. Like when you see him, it's not a full twist into his punches. A lot of them are like arm punches. But to your point, somehow the way that they throw, they teach them to throw the punch. It's still very, very heavy and knock people out. But a lot of those punches, when you see him, he doesn't have the right balance. His feet are not planted. He's not putting his full hip into it. And he's still just able to catch guys and knock them out. And as you mentioned, we know that Randy can be knocked out, right? He's been knocked out on multiple occasions, you know, during that time. So I definitely think I would have given the edge to Fedor. Um I feel like us the fans were the ones that were really robbed during this whole thing, right? Because that was that was one of those questions we really wanted answered and instead we got randy versus uh 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 my guy randy versus um uh james tony you know why they have to do that to my guy james tony why did james tony want to go into the ufc which reminds me one of these days i'm gonna do a james tony falling goat because i don't think people understand really how good in the boxing world James Tony was. But that's neither here nor there. We wanted um, Randy versus Fedor. And I, I got... want to say though, <laughs> this is important.
1: Yes. Dana White was so sick of boxer shit. I he know. was so sick of their shit that when James <laughs> Tony said he was willing to do it, he said, "Okay, we're going to give you Randy Couture." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. was that was yeah. mean.
0: That, that was, was brutal, yeah. Well, this is the thing. You know, James Tony being who he is, and he really is, you know, a little bit off his rocker. Um, He kept harassing Dana, and he was showing up, like just showing up places where Dana was at, asking for the fight. And one of the people he was asking for was Randy Couture. And I think that he thought because Randy Couture may not have the best boxing, he would have a chance. But he would have had a better chance going up against a striker than he would one of the best wrestlers that everybody had seen up until that point in time, right? Um yeah, that was just a, a bad deal all the way around. But yeah. But as fans, we were robbed. We wanted the uh we wanted the Fedor fight.
1: Well, I think I don't think the Randy Couture versus Fedor, that was the big one. But we also got the uh Fedor Brock Lesnar, people. Was yeah, we didn't for. get that one. Yeah. You know, that was another one people really
0: wanted to see. And uh that would have been a classic fight, man. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you know, so many of those fights that um at least from what Dana said it it sounded like to me, and you know, it is Dana, so you never can truly believe everything, right? <laughs> But it sounded like um, there was some type of weird ownership based on Fedor's handlers or something like that that they wanted. Dana said it wasn't the money. He was pretty much willing to give him any amount of money. It was all the other things that came along with it. Like co and Yeah, and he was like, you know, this just isn't a road I want to go down. And I would have made the same decision. Right, I wouldn't have went down that uh road. I think I think Fedor was um his management team or however it worked was intertwined with M1. Um I think that mm-hmm. was the promotion that they were trying to co promote with and stuff like that. And um yeah, you know, I w I wouldn't have went down that road either. But as I said, I think, you know, as the fans, we were the ones that were cheated and I don't think a lot of that stuff they got when he went over to, you know, other promotions um i don't think you know strike force bellator you know so i don't know if it kind of ran out of steam or he just said forget it I'll go and fight over here and they only wanted to play hardball with the ufc but that was a, a you know one of the things that was tragic but one of the last questions or this will be the last question i have for you um which is the whole point of this the goat list so be it that we do have him here as a fallen goat, but we can agree, especially looking back, he probably should be in that goat conversation. Even if you're not calling him the goat, he should be in that conversation of the guys that you're talking about on that goat list. Where do you feel like he falls on that goat list greatest of all time? So I would have to say I wasn't prepared for this, but I think
1: for sure top 10 and he could possibly be cracking that top 5 cuz I mean, goat list all times and we're only talking dudes, right? No no chick fighters or anything. Yeah,
0: I don't put I don't put I know some people do. I don't put women in my goat list. I feel like they're their own list like everything yeah. else. I'm not comparing WNBA and NBA together. They're two separate things.
1: <laughs> right. So I mean, you got John Jones, Anderson Silva, GSP. I mean, I don't know. I think Fedor starts getting pretty close into that area. Stop leaving
0: DJ off. Stop disrespecting Demetrius. Well, I mean, the (laughs) thing—the thing thing with DJ is I'm not leaving him off. Uh,
1: fully disrespecting him. I'm kind of looking at it more as a, um, you know, he's still an active fighter. You know, we can still. I mean, I guess. John, well, John Jones is never an active fighter, but you know what I'm saying. Um, (laughs) DJ, I'm kind of reserving because I'm talking about the all time, and he's still fighting right now, like consistently. You know, just look great against Rod Tang or whatever. That was an impressive, you know, trying something new kind of thing. But I mean, so yeah, I think when DJ retires, he cracks up into that top part. But I mean, I feel like I might have Fedor just off the cuff I wasn't like I said I wasn't prepared but I might have him somewhere between five and seven and only because yeah doing the research for this and I didn't think that but mm-hmm. when you do the research and you look at the record and you look at the credentials it's kind of like shit man I mean he doesn't he didn't fall off the way we like to think he did
0: yeah I think that's the best part about doing some of this and even for you know listeners right especially as we grow some people that may just be getting into the sport and they have heard these names but they don't really understand right a lot of times you don't know what somebody else really did in a sport you may just hear other people talking down on them or talking bad about them or whatever else without really knowing what really happened or what they did in a sport right um it's like how and i'll use another basketball analogy right it's like how Kobe's name is barely even mentioned now in the GOAT conversation. And it's like that quickly you forgot what Kobe did and what he gave to us, right? And that's just how it works. And so it's not until you have a person that'll be sitting down and like, let me go through everything that Kobe did. And it's like, wow, wait a minute. This person is spectacular. Why is this person not in the conversation? And I think when we do these Fallen GOAT episodes, of course, we're going to look at the record and everything like that, but that gives you a chance to go back, watch some of the old fights, see certain things, something that you mentioned earlier, which I think is important, like when you talk about the Arlowski fight. Okay, Arlowski may not have been considered you know, the, the biggest of the big at that time, Not, and let me back up. He had already had a UFC heavyweight championship and was out of the UFC in another promotion. By this time, but you were some people were saying, Hey, he's washed up. And to your point, he had two more career surges after that, right? So now, when you go back and look at that fight with him and Fedor, it's like, Wait a minute, that's even more impressive because after that, Orlowski ended up back in the UFC and did really well, right? So I think when you get a chance to look back on it and do the real research and walk through it step by step it allows you to get a different perspective where you're looking at it for what it is instead of the emotion of the time. Right. And I think that's always a positive. Definitely. So from you, any last words before we wrap this up? No, I think that's it.
1: This was uh, you usually say it, but we had a good one today. We had a really good
0: one. We had a good one today. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay everybody. So, um of course uh, on oh, these following I got down. I got one question yeah, for you, Go Here ahead. Go.
1: Yes. What was your least favorite Fedor
0: fight or your worst Fedor moment? I would say probably when he lost to uh Bigfoot Silva. Um he hit came off of the loss to Verduum. I think that was the first person that beat him. And I was one of those people who was like, "Yeah, but you know, it's for Doom, a little, you know, maybe a little fluke." And then he gets KO'd by Bigfoot Silva. And don't get me wrong, Bigfoot Silva was not a slouch, especially at that time. Very good fighter, but it's nowhere in the world that I thought Bigfoot would beat Fedor. And at that point in time, I felt really sad. And then Dan Henderson came along as the cleanup man. So
1: you thought you were sad. I was there in the Izod Center, went there to watch him. (laughs) So yes, that was a, that was a tragic event. But my least favorite, my worst Fedor moment ever, is the Fabio Maldonado fight, mm,
0: okay. which
1: he shouldn't even been fighting Fabio Maldonado. <laughs> and they originally ruled it a draw, and then mm. overturned it to a win. And when mm. re- reality, Fedor was lucky to get the draw. Yeah, like yeah. he might have lost to Fabio Maldonado that fight.
0: You know how I mentioned earlier today how, you know, when you fight in the heavyweight division, how everybody has one-punch knockout power and everything like that? There's always an exception to that rule and Maldonado is the exception to that rule. (laughs) So, And this is no knock. I think he's a good fighter but he's never been a big puncher and to for somebody like Fedor to lose to the caliber of fighter that you know, Maldonado was and losing a sense of, you know, what we're talking about. Um, Yeah, that, that is, I didn't think about that one, but yeah, that's pretty, pretty tragic. Yeah. That's,
1: I feel like that's literally the worst
0: I've ever seen him look in a fight. And uh, yeah. I can't say this about Maldonado though, even though he's not a heavy puncher, He's a guy that could take a punch and he's he's had some fights where I saw him really bounced all around the cage you know he had a short stint in UFC and like you know he's a guy that can take a punch and maybe you know that's the thing you know if you can take a punch from a big puncher and you're a volume puncher you got a chance well, June 7, June
1: 17th, 2016 in St. Petersburg, Russia, he did not get bounced all
0: over the page. He did not. I think it was actually a ring. Probably was. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Fat Boy MMA podcast. Thank you all for coming and listen again. That wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.